you are a Bible-believing Christian, um, I just challenge you to pray that what we've seen and heard tonight, because of what goes on through the ministry of this church and on this campus, that you would pray that God would always use this place to do that, because that's really what we're all about, ultimately, is making disciples. And, you know, not that there are special places, right? I mean, there are in God's economy and history, but I mean, there are places, obviously, that he uses. This little set of buildings in a business park, right? The Bible is being taught, not just here in this room, but on all of these platforms around this campus, all those classrooms down the hall and across the way. I mean, we have one, two, three, four, five buildings here. It's just, would you just pray that God would continue to use this place, whether it's us or the next generation, until Christ comes back, that we would have the true gospel preached and people really telling people one-on-one through the relationships in this church the gospel that transforms lives, that gets people ready for some of the toughest things they'll encounter in this life, that they will have their names written in the Lamb's Book. I mean, I just think you need to make that a part of your prayer list. May that little piece of real estate in the Columbia Loop, may, may it be utilized until Christ comes back for what we just have, have heard. Because um, we're preaching a message, I don't know if you realize it, that's becoming... A, less and less preached in our day, in our culture. It's like the Old Testament said there's going to be a a famine for the Word of God. Not a famine for bread, but a famine for people hearing the clear message of repentance. But people don't like to hear about hell. They don't like to hear about exclusion, about punishment, about sin, about judgment. But you heard that all throughout these testimonies, did you not? It's, I mean, this is the truth, and the truth has hard edges, and the truth needs to be taught, and the truth needs to be spoken in one-on-one relationships, in small groups, from platforms all over this campus. I mean, I, I had no idea in my mind the envisioning of what would work out in terms of this church. I didn't know if we'd have a big auditorium, a small auditorium, but I mean, God has given us about 100,000 square feet of space here. And I just want you to be praying that it would always be used to do what's being done that we get to testify to and celebrate here tonight. And if you don't get it yet, and perhaps you don't, that that you would get it now, that what we need is what you just heard, and that is an absolute certainty regarding where we stand with our our Creator. That's what we need. And, And you need to make sure that's true of you. And you're right with the living God because we, we, we are going to be done with this life. We're going to be in the next life a lot longer than you're in this life. And you can lean back and act like it doesn't matter and it's all going to work out and everything's cool because you've lived in a pretty pampered culture. But in the end, right, what's going to matter is the day you meet your maker. And whether or not you got it right with him by knowing this, that you are a sinner and you need some kind of atonement for that sin. You need something that's going to solve the problem. And I just, I just need you to make sure that tonight you and God, you've got this thing right. And stop assuming. You can't assume, right? Your conscience bears witness to what God has said. 
And what God has said, and you heard it in the tank, you heard it out of my mouth, that we all fall short, we all are sinners, and the wages of sin, we heard it, right? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Free gift of God, eternal life. But you don't get that just by being made, being on the planet. This requires a transaction that's going to involve us going through this portal of humble repentance. I had something planned. I'm not even going to get into what I planned to say to you tonight. I would just rather make sure you know that what you've heard in the popular Christian culture is not what you believe regarding what it takes to get right with God. Everyone thinks we can play fast and loose with the facts of the gospel. You can't. And if you think belief right, is what God meant when he said faith, right, you've missed the point. You heard it tonight. Was it not clear? I believed in God. I thought that made me a Christian. I can call myself something. I can presume I'm something. And I can say, I know I believe in God. Whatever that means, right, that there is a God, that Jesus was real, that he was historical. I was explaining to some guys this week the uh, way in which we need to understand the proper, biblical, sanctioned, commanded response to the gospel. It has two distinct components that are distinctive. They can be defined distinctly, and yet they're inseparable. And that's why they're interchangeable when it comes to understanding what it takes to respond to God rightly about the problem of sin and the solution in Christ. They can be used interchangeably, and they are. And the two words, you've heard them tonight, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Luke 24 can say what you need to do as a church for the rest of time until Christ comes back, and we're at it now for 2,000 years, you preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin in Christ. You preach repentance. The word that's enlisted there is the response to all of the gospel that was just laid out in the book of Luke is that you repent and you will be forgiven. Elsewhere in Scripture, you can see one word that is utilized as the response to the gospel, like when the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And, and, and Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The word, the verb there, the command, the imperative verb there is believe. And some people think, well, I like the believe, I don't like the repentance, because repentance sounds like it's going to have to mess my life up. And all I'm telling you is that both those words can stand in for one response that is a required response that has two distinctive elements to it. They're distinguishable yet inseparable. And sometimes you'll hear me, if you've heard me preach long enough, to talk about the gospel with the words, we need to respond with a penitent faith penitent faith, right? It's a certain kind of belief because here's the things that, that, that James 2 tells us, that even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. You say you believe, that's not, that's not it if you don't understand that it is penitent faith. You need both of these concepts. You want to use the word repent like he does in Acts 2 when they say, what must we do? They were cut to the quick. He says, repent. Well, great. You can use that word. You better understand what it means, You better understand that this is a kind of response to sin that also includes a trust in Christ, an appropriation of the only solution that you have, which is trusting in Christ who lived in your place and died in your place. Or you can use the word believe, which is much more popular because it seems to be a softer word, believe. But you better understand it is a penitent belief. It's a kind of penitent faith that says, I know that I need to believe in you because I'm not worthy to believe in me. 
And that means believe in me, trust in me, trust in my qualifications to shine before God. I'm here, accept me into your kingdom. You cannot trust in yourself. You cannot trust in your deeds. We heard a, a great line in this tank about the idea of my, my works, they're, they're not acceptable. I cannot be acceptable by saying, I believe that what I've done is okay. I believe that what I've done is acceptable. I believe that what I do should make you as my creator accept me. You can't believe in yourself. You have to believe in Christ. That means you're transferring, it was well put tonight, transferring my trust to Christ with a penitence, a turning from sin, a sense that my sin should condemn me, but I'm going to embrace Christ. A penitent faith. Two distinguishable, I can define them differently. What is repentance? What does that word mean? What does faith mean? But they're in separable. There's one response to the gospel that has two distinguishable components, repentance and faith. I like the biblical words, and if you're still stuck on, well, I asked Jesus into my life, have fun with trying to find that in the Bible, right? That's a great little shorthand for what they've been doing in like child evangelism for decades now, but it is not the biblical imperative of God saying, you want to know how to respond to the death of my son where I was willing to crush him, putting him to death as a guilt offering. As it said 700 years before Christ came in Isaiah 53, I'm going to crush my own son so that he can be a guilt offering so I can accept you. I'll take your sin and treat my son like he were you. But what you need to do is you need to trust that that is acceptable and the acceptable payment for your sin. And if it's sin, you have to see with penitence, with a, a repentant heart, I need that. You need to repent and put your trust in Christ. So you want to use the word believe or, or faith or repentance. These are two Greek words. Pastuo, we translate it faith, hopefully, or sometimes believe, but it always comes with a preposition in. You believe in Christ. You don't just believe Christ. You believe in Christ. Or you can use the word metanoia, repent. You can translate it differently. You're turning from sin. Great. You turn from sin to God. Now, some people don't like that. There are churches that have passed out my sermons to show that I am a false teacher teaching heresy because I'm not really understanding the grace of God. Because the grace of God would never ask anyone to repent because if you repent, now you're doing works to earn God's favor. Hogwash, right? Bring it on. We will debate that all you want. That is not what I'm saying and that is not what the Bible teaches. But repentance is in my heart. It is a turning from sin. And it doesn't matter if I don't have a second to live out the fruit of that. That's the work of God to grant us, to quote now the book of Acts, to grant us repentance, that the times of refreshing may come. I want God's refreshment. I want God's blessing. I want God's favor. That's going to come, but it, it need to be granted a heart of repentance, which is at a moment saying, no more. I can't do, go there. I have to go here. Now, people say, well, that's a work. It's not a work because works would mean, now I've got to do it for at least 15 minutes. I've got to do it for at least 15 months. I've got to do it for at least 15 years, and then I'll earn my place. That's not what anyone in the Bible is teaching or anyone who has faithfully for 2,000 years taught the gospel of Jesus. But we are trusting in Christ with a penitent faith saying, I know I'm a sinner. I'm turning from sin to follow God. I mean, Paul talks about the Thessalonians this way. They turn from their idols to serve the living and true God. And the idols of our day, though you may not think about someone in, in the 21st century bowing down to some, you know, idol of gold, 
Right? We're bowing down and serving lots of things that really are all about, as we heard tonight, serving myself. And money might be a way to do that. Pleasure might be a way to do that. Right? Whatever it is that I want to do, self-expression, self-definition, that's you. And I'm saying, no, no, no. I have to turn to the living God away from things that I have been living for. We live for one person, our Creator. And we do it by turning away and relinquishing living for everything else. Now, I still got to go to work. I still got to earn a paycheck. I still got to pay my mortgage. still got to brush my teeth. All those things I've got to do. But I'm doing it under a new management now because all of that I'm doing for Christ. As we learned this morning at our men's event, 341 men, by the way, in this building, which was a good thing. <laughs> Learning about what it means to say that we are living for the person over the shoulder of the person that I may work for, right? I'm trusting in a God who is my ultimate boss. I'm not living as an obedient employee of a manager that doesn't remember that the real boss is over his shoulder, the one who's going to give me the inheritance one day. I live for him. That's a turning from all the stuff I live for. You are born to want to make you your own boss. Even if you have to live for a human boss, you want to be your own boss. And, and the Bible says you got to stop. That's why when Jesus said, and we quoted the passage this morning, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow him. And that means that I'm no longer living for me. I still got to deal with me, but I'm not living for me. I'm living for Christ. And whatever he says I should be in this life, whether it's light and salt, standing up for him, evangelizing people, telling them the gospel, living for him, serving him, sacrificing for him, whatever he wants me to do, because that's all that's going to matter. I know that's not the way that most people think. And even people here who sit here and say, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, and you live for yourself. We've heard the testimony of the duplicity of people that live that way, right? Yeah, I go to church, try to be good on the patio and look like a real Christian, but really, you know, during the week, it's about me. Real penitent faith is being able to distinguish the two words that are used in Scripture often together, right? We're teaching repentance, right? right? Repentance from sin to God and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, Acts 24. I mean, these are used in combination often. Mark chapter 1, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. But you've got to see that whether you use the shorthand of faith or repentance or whether you just say turning and trusting, you have to know that that is a commitment to hold on to Christ and His requirements for what was required for human beings that I didn't meet. And that changes everything. And, and I, I tell you, these were good testimonies tonight that spoke of changed lives. And I, I, I'm just hoping that's true for everyone in the room. Because the saddest and scariest passage in all the Bible is in Matthew chapter 7, where people are going to say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We did a lot of stuff. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Depart from me, I never knew you. Not I used to know you, I never knew you. The most horrific thing is that people have been exposed to the teaching of the gospel, but they never had ears to hear or eyes to see. And I'm praying that on this campus, in this building, in that building, in that building, in that building, and in that building, they would all be filled with people that are granted repentance and faith, that have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I want that to be your fervent prayer. If you're a real biblical Christian, that that's your prayer. God, open more eyes. And when we scatter during the week to go out and live where we live, that we are really effective in telling people they need to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. That's the message of the gospel.
I hope it's true for you. And if it's not, time to get it right. Time to deal with it now. What's your hang-up? What's your problem? What's your intellectual question? What's your concern? I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, the concern that they put on the table, here's why I'm not a Christian, really has nothing to do with intellectual convincing. It has to do with the fact that I want to be my own boss. It comes back to not wanting to repent. And if that's your thing, at least be honest with yourself. And I love that in evangelism when I finally get to somebody who says, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to give up the reins of control of my life. I don't want God telling me what to do. Okay, at least we've reached a real clear point of honesty in that. And I would just say, at least get yourself there and then look in the mirror and say, really, if that's the person, the creature who is dependent on God to oxygenate your blood, to give you breath every day, if that's really the God that you want calling the shots for you. Not only in this life, but you'll have him for the next life. And the problem is God will withdraw from you and he will not give you any of his blessings or any of his favor. And you'll say, you didn't want me. You wanted to be your own God. You can go be your own God in outer darkness where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Have at it. And God is rough in, the, in that way. Did you read in your daily Bible reading, you insiders here at the DBR this week in, in Deuteronomy 28? Did any of you read that? Yeah. You read that, right? Yeah. Scary passage. I mean, he gives us a few verses about, here's the thing, you follow me, things will be good. It's not as though he didn't make that clear throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy as, as, as Moses is continuing to talk about what God has revealed on Mount Sinai. And then he says, but if you choose to neglect it, if you choose to turn your back on it, if you choose to live the way that you want, if you choose to trust in yourself, here's what you have to look forward to. We don't need a really clear explanation of the afterlife to understand the afterlife in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. All we have to do is to read everything he says there about what you'll get in this life if you're ready to say, I want to live for myself. You want to make yourself your own God? We had it quoted in the tank tonight. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. You want to be the angry person, does your own thing, seeks your own thing, get your own rewards, put yourself on a pedestal, look at yourself in the mirror every day and love yourself and serve yourself and please yourself and follow yourself. Guess what? That's what you get. You get yourself. And that comes to a pretty quick end. And I know you think you haven't really run the whole circuit yet because it'll be really great. You should read that book, the book of Ecclesiastes, and everyone else who's tried it. It ends up becoming nothing but chasing after the wind. Well, I'll figure that out be good for you to figure it out before it's too late, which would be for you to put your trust in Christ by turning from your sin and putting your trust in the provision that he's given you in a person who lived a perfect life that you should have lived and died the death of suffering and absorbing the penalty from heaven, from his father, that you should suffer. And he says, I'll do that for you, but you have to turn and trust. And may God grant that to some of you here tonight. And I know some of you just don't like it, just don't like it, doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. If you've been used to being your own God, to give the keys of divinity to, to, to the real divine one, I know that's hard. I get it. We've all been, and all of us here that are real Christians have been through it. Join the club. It hurts. But get over it. Because it's worth it. There's nothing better than you knowing that you're where you need to be with the living God. And I hope you heard all those testimonies tonight. And you said, that, that, that's where I'm at. I hope that's where you're at. And you're going to see those people out on the patio, and I want you to embrace them. I want you to hold them and hug them and encourage them. Some of them right now are going through some really tough times. And you go encourage them. And I hope that you'd fulfill their ultimate desire in prayer, which was not just to get through this without fainting, right? 
It was for them to get up and say something that they hoped that the people in this room, even the people they don't know, would respond the same way. There's only one response to the gospel. Repent of your sins, put your trust in Christ. Why don't you stand with me? I'll dismiss you. I hope that maybe somebody, there's no aisle to walk, there's no card to fill out, there's no, there's no anything to do but you to do business with God by saying, I repent of my sin and really knowing what you're saying, and I trust in Christ. You don't have to be a theologian, but you've got to be sincere in accepting the reality of the judgment of God on your life, which right now is just a set of words. You are a sinner. Saying, I'd like to accept the sentence of what the problem is so that I don't have to go and incur the penalty of what the problem is. Oh, I don't want to be scared into the kingdom. Not a bad reason to become a Christian, to avoid hell. That's a good thing. It's also good to be a servant of Christ, and I hope that perhaps some might become servants of Christ tonight. Let me pray for you. God, just to talk about penitent faith, to talk about repentance and faith, turning and trusting, and hearing that fleshed out in the words that were not scripted by pastors or theologians, just from the heart of people that say, here is what's happened to me. So refreshing for us in this room that are genuine Christians. And our prayer is not only that tonight people might get it right with you, but this campus, and i just so impressed about the importance of this particular place. Here, all throughout this Columbia Loop, all these buildings that have signs on it that say Compass Bible Church would be filled with the teaching of good sound doctrine and a solid, articulate gospel presentation all the time. People be hearing what it means to be right with the living God. And that people would go from this place encouraged, emboldened, strengthened to share the message of the gospel throughout the week. So God, for some here that may be doing business with you, God, just drag them across the line. All of us in this room, in one way or another, have been dragged into this thing. Your spirit has taken us and convicted us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And we pray it would continue to happen, that we might be right with you. We'd hear, as we heard that great testimony tonight, hear your voice, that John 10 quote, and, and the sheep that we are yours, we would hear your voice and we would follow you. God, may there be new followers of Christ tonight, even in this room, I pray. We'd hear about it down the road in the baptismal tank as people say it was that night at baptisms that God got a hold of my heart. May that be true in this room tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.